All right. I'm Ryan Fellman. This is another episode of the Pat's Mayonnaise Podcast. And today I am joined by Jack Murphy, a man who, by all rights, probably needs no introduction. But Jack, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone who you are briefly and uh, we'll go from there. Hey, man. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so, man, who, who am I? That's a good question. Am I, is, it, <laughs> is it the old me? Is it the new me? Is it the pre-docs me? Um, uh, the new me. Uh, my name is Jack Murphy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Murphy Live. Go to the website, jackmurphylive.com. In fact, it's Jack Murphy Live everywhere. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, you got it. Uh, I am a full-time writer, author, speaker. I manage a uh, all-men's community. We've got about 150 members, uh, sort of like a national fraternity. Uh, and I spend all my day just uh, writing and creating content and uh, pushing things out for guys to process and, and grapple with. And uh, we try in the liminal order. And with all my writing, we try to sort of reset our mental model of the world so that we can uh, perceive reality in a way that uh, doesn't leave us feeling like, uh, you know, what the hell is going on out there? A little less crazy. That's what we're looking for. I like that reset mental model of the world. Um, you know, I spent most of my twenties, like most men where I was kind of sitting on the sidelines. Um, you know, I worked hard at my nine to five, came home and either drank beers with my buddies or went out playing video games, you know, nothing too exciting. Um, but like you over the last few years, I've noticed a change in the culture and the, uh, you know, this mental model that we're seeing. And, um, you know, I decided to start doing something about it. I just, I couldn't sit there and say nothing. So I started writing first in a journal and then online. So, um, I, I get it. I see where you're coming from. I see why you started writing. And I know for you, it's a, it's a very personal story. Um, I, I, I've been briefly, uh, I started reading your book. I haven't quite gotten too far into it yet, but I know your story pretty well too. Um, but basically, you, you know, you were unfairly accused uh, multiple times, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. A number of times. So for people that don't know, um, I, I had like a regular life before this, uh, you know, I went to, went to college, got a degree in economics. I got a master's from Georgetown in international affairs and international finance. Uh, I worked as an analyst uh, at a hedge fund. Uh, I developed real estate in Washington, D.C. for a long time, uh, 10 years. And, uh, and then I also worked, I'm old now, man, I just turned 44. Uh, I, then I worked another 10 years, <laughs> almost, uh, running charter schools in Washington, D.C. as the executive director. So I was like a turnaround expert. And I would get sent uh, to the most difficult schools in the entire city. And not just individual schools, but actual little mini school systems because they're charter schools. And, not, and my job was to turn them around completely. And uh, as I was doing that work, near the end of that work, I, w I began writing just like you did. And I began uh, getting a sense that there was something weird going on in the world. And I began that process by, you know, when I got divorced. I got divorced in 2009. Go online, you know, try to figure out, like, what's wrong with me? What do I do? You know, trying to just get, get my head wrapped around the, the dating and mating market, which had changed dramatically since I, you know, since while yeah. I was married. Uh, so anyway, I start I start reading about uh, relationships and sexual dynamics, and one thing leads to another, and I realize that the things that are are messing up our our relationships today uh, are also messing up our politics and and basically the world. And uh, I I pulled on on one string, and it just kept on going. And a few years later, you know, I'm writing about politics. I'm in 2016. 
writing about feminism, I'm writing about immigration, sanctuary cities, all kinds of stuff. But at the same time, I'm still working in the charter schools. And uh, at this point I was working for the regulator and I was managing a portfolio of like $800 million worth of uh, charter school assets. And I got doxxed by, uh, because I was using a pen name, right? I got doxxed by Antifa, uh, you know, which are these far left radical people uh, because they thought I was some sort of racist uh, because I was willing to engage with some subjects today like immigration or feminism. Uh, and, and I was willing to explore them in a way that you know, they found to be offensive. And so they went and dug through all my old shit and contacted my employer and got me fired. Uh, and so from there, I transitioned full-time into doing the work I'm doing now. And so the doxing was about, um, I guess, what was that? January. It was shit. It was January of 2018. Yeah. And it was fast. It really does move fast, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, two years ago, I'm, I'm doing one thing in one industry. And two years later, I'm doing something in a completely different industry and the growth has been tremendous and the, the future is so bright. I can barely sleep. I was telling you this before we started recording, you know, I'm up late every night, up early in the middle of the night. I was up like three 30 today and in the morning and I just, uh, there's so much to do. I'm so creatively supercharged right now that, uh, yep. I just can't even sleep. So I'm just grinding and just putting it all out there, man. No, I understand that. Um, I think I was up around three thirty or four this morning as well. Just, I'm kind of scrambling to finish a book, and you get those creative juices going. You're kind of afraid to to go back to sleep sometimes. So, Definitely. yeah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I've been following you for a long time, a lot longer than I've been on Twitter, really. And um, I I think it was about the time when your uh, Democrats a Deplorable book came out. So, I was never really that interested in politics but something kind of has happened over the last not the last four years maybe the last 10 or so where everyone's almost forced into politics one or another you know you you say one thing you act a certain way even if you just look a certain way you know i used to have a beard like you um i work out i'm bald like people just look at me and they can just kind of paint a picture they're like oh i bet you i bet i know how you align politically i bet i know what you feel about this topic and all this and they just they paint you in the corner before you have a chance to make a decision for yourself and sure. it's gotten much more divided um I don't know if you even have an answer for it, but I mean, how do well, we get to this point where it's everyone's so forced to play a side? Okay. Well, this is, you know, it's a very complicated question, complicated <laughs> answers. And this is basically what I dedicate my life to figuring out. Right. And so um, what's happening is that there's, there's a new religion in America and this new religion goes by a few different names. You know, some people will call it social justice warrior. Some people will call it identity politics, politics, um, uh, other people will identify it correctly as a uh, intersectional intersectionality, which is a, a philosophy that's come out of radical feminism. Um, it's combined with critical race theory, which is a philosophy that advocates change over truth, right? They see everything in terms of oppressors and oppressed. And, and the, uh, the goal of that philosophy is actually to make change. Right. right. Um, and some people call this a uh, multiculturalism. That's a term that the Claremont Institute has been using. Um, I don't, I don't love that one so much, but it, it's a good catch-all for all of these things all together. And all of these philosophies and, and ideologies, it's, it's a moral code, and the moral code is based on the whole world is about oppression and oppressed people, oppressors and oppressed. Um, every society has been oppressive. 
every society has been patriarchal. Right. Uh, therefore, every patriarchy has been oppressive. Therefore, all men uh, who participate, you know, by default in the patriarchy are part of the oppression. And so in order to, uh, you know, the critical, the critical social theory part, in order to make change philosophically, they have to attack the source of male power. And the source of male power is masculinity. So it's connected from the top, the highest levels in the land. We, we see the language of these philosophies in the, in the Kavanaugh hearings recently. We see them uh, permeate even the impeachment hearings at times. We see, um, we see it infect the American Psychological Association, the largest mental health association in America, and their new guidelines that basically say masculinity is toxic and it's a, it's a mental health issue that needs to be treated. Right. We see that all the way from the very top, and it ripples all the way through all of our universities, institutions, Google, Google search algorithms, your banking services, your media companies, television shows, advertising, sports teams, all the way down to what happens on Tinder and the way people are like getting together and dating these days. And so, yeah, this philosophy believes uh, that there needs to be action taken to, to relieve this oppression. And so basically what they're saying is that they don't think that white men, because of course it's white men who are the oppressors in all cases. Yeah, of course, always. It, it, it's white men. I, I like to say it's white men and the women who love them. Um, <laughs> yeah. right? um, and so they don't believe that, that white, white men should actually be entitled to the same level of rights as uh, the oppressed and the oppressed are, you know, women and single women mostly and, and, and uh, minorities and, you know, gender and sexuality minorities and the whole, the whole uh, array. And so uh, basically it's two competing versions of what justice is. Okay. So uh, on, on my side, and I guess your side too, um, we believe, I think in, in equality of opportunity, right? We right. believe everybody should have the, the same, same uh, equality under the law, the same opportunities, and they should be treated the same, irrespective of their gender, irrespective of their race, irrespective of their sexuality. Um, you know, for example, like I always supported gay marriage. So when gay marriage came off the table, I was way more likely to, to stop voting Democrat and start voting Republican, as an example. Um, and so uh, they, they, uh, they believe that there's this... Uh, mission that they have where they have to, to to enact this new sense of justice and and our sense of justice is is like we said equality uh, under the law and their sense of justice is righting the wrongs and righting the wrongs and, and that means you know targeting and identifying the people who've done evil and so there's two competing theories of justice in our world today and that's why you're on one side or the other there's no there's no compromising uh, there's no discussion to be had either you're right or you're wrong and it's on both sides really so it's intractable and it's from top to bottom and it's in every aspect of our life and it's everywhere and you can't get away from it and it's only going to get worse <laughs> well that was my next question i was going to ask if it's if this pendulum is going to start swinging back or not but uh, well okay so there's been a couple signs of that right so um the claremont institute is a uh, West Coast think tank that is famous uh, in conservative circles has been around for a long time, but they have recently uh, sort of taken a big step away from their traditional uh, past philosophies and come out outright and say that multiculturalism, which incorporates in their radical feminism, intersectionality, all this stuff, 
uh, is an existential threat to the United States. So uh, they believe basically the same things that, that bubbled up out of the manosphere, red pill stuff, uh, all the stuff that, that I learned coming up and reading online since 2009, uh, you know, the same way Bronze Age Pervert did, you know, he and I and, and Delicious Tacos and those guys, we were all in the yeah. same forum, forums like 10 years ago. And now, you know, we have gone from there to here where we're actually on the cutting edge of like cultural and political political thinking. And the Claremont Institute has picked up on that. And so they've, they published reviews of Bronze Age Pervert, for example, um, and they have now come out full, full throttle against multiculturalism, which in, in there is feminism. Uh, it's really the basis for all of it. Uh, and so when you talk about the pendulum swinging back, it, it hasn't started swinging back yet. But if institutions like Claremont can start to see the battlefield more clearly and they're starting to take clear ideological positions on it, that it is a crack that wasn't there before. Now, that said, these people, um, the multiculturalists or whatever you want to call it, I, I like social justice warriors. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good catch-all. That that's, that's easy. Um, those people have taken over all of our institutions so you know they run google and they run the you know you know the, they're even in the military you know they're in every every university every college every corporate uh, hr department uh every teacher you know, everybody like, everywhere in, in this they're in every place they need to be to control the narrative exactly right control yeah. the narr- and, and to just control you Right. And, and so while you, we may see, you know, little flecks of hope or light or whatever, the pendulum is still swinging in a negative direction. So their power is more entrenched. Now, we were literally just having this conversation with my guys in the liminal order. You know, we have daily chats. So we've got like this, this sort of top secret Slack, Slack styled app where there's, you know, people just chatting all day about stuff. And um, this subject was literally what we were just talking about like half hour ago. Like, is the pendulum swinging back? Is the, is the multicultural regime beginning to topple? And one guy said, yes, a little bit, you know, look at Claremont. But then I was like, yeah, but remember, they're still in charge of all of our corporations, media companies, universities, et cetera. Right. And, and things like implicit association testing, implicit bias and, you know, racial equity and inclusion, you know, groups and whatever. It's still everywhere. My, my teenage kids are still being subjected to it at their schools. You know, if you get a job in, a, in corporate America, you're going to have to take this, uh, are you a racist test? Like it's, every, it's everywhere. It's everywhere still. And it's only, it's only, you know, those forces are becoming more entrenched. So right. know, the pendulum is not swinging back just yet. And it, it's going to get worse. And not only is it going to get worse, it's going to take a number of years before it gets worse enough or bad enough so that like real fundamental change can take place. And then unless we have some sort of cataclysmic event, you know, like a major actual war or something, it, it's going to take a generation for it to work itself out of the system. So and that's a good point. Um, and this is something I write about a lot and that if we did have some sort of a, a significant war, not in Iran, not in Iraq, but like something like Russia or China where people are actually afraid again, suddenly our problems are bigger and we're going to stop giving a shit about these, you know, faux issues that ultimately aren't as important as like real world problems. But you know, that's, the way the world's going, I, it's, it's unlikely to see real yeah, I, wars I, anymore. I, I may have misspoke a little bit there. I was thinking of like an internal conflict, like a cultural that led, war. that led to sudden and rapid change. You know, okay. unless we have an internal conflict with sudden and rapid change, the the uh, 
you know, stripping, stripping these folks out of the institutions is going to take a long time. And, you know, think like, let's use an example of like, you know, embedded racism in our institutions. Like even after the civil rights act, which people are, are really talking about right now, uh, even after that, uh, it, it took decades and generations right. for like real life bigots to be worked out of the system. And it's arguably still being worked out yeah, to some yeah, degree. In some ways. And so it's still going to, any change going back the other way is going to take, is going to take a long time, much longer than we really want it to. But to your point of like a unifying event. Yeah. I mean, politicians have long known that having a common enemy will make a common people. Right. So right. If, we, if we could identify somebody that we could go to a conventional war with and distract us, that would be helpful. But conventional war is dead and gone. That's not coming back. Yeah, and, agreed. And I think really what we would need is like aliens. Basically. Yeah, now you sound like Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, we need we need aliens to show up so that we can all be unified against them. I think that that would be best for us. It would it would highlight all of our similarities and and help us move past um all these little divisive arguments and yeah. And I want to make it perfectly clear. Like I was raised to see you no know, color i was de- like in segregated busing i've lived in like gen- you know edge gentrifying neighborhoods i ran schools that were 99.99 percent african-american you know <clears throat> i've hired and trained hundreds of african-american professionals like i don't want to be talking about this race shit like this is the last thing i want to be worried about yeah and and and, and they're forcing it upon us which is the, right. which is the part that sucks and because that's happening we're reluctant to engage. And so they, it's given them, it's given them uh, like a head start because they're like hammering us, but we're like, eh, I don't really want to talk about that right now. Yeah. You, you brought that up in your book where for like 40 years or so, you know, we'd kind of move past the whole racial divide and it would become like an afterthought. And, and now it's being forced in the narrative every day. Um, well, just the to, other way. Yeah. The reverse. Yeah, just, yeah. just today I just glanced on Twitter and there's, there's some story when I go to the search bar about some girl that got suspended for her dreadlocks, you know, they, they find these little stories. And I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't even know if they're trying to necessarily force the narrative there or if they're just, it's the mainstream media kind of grasping for income and trying to generate more clicks via outrage. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere, man. It's everywhere and all the time. Yeah. We, we talked about this briefly before we, start recording yep. we were talking about richmond uh the richmond gun gun rally that just took place last week on uh what was that january 20th the 20th yeah man days are going by fast <laughs> but slow as hell too uh yeah it was on january 20th and i went i went down to the gun rally i really wanted to see what was going on first of all i'm a big defender of the constitution including the second amendment and so i i don't even own personally any weapons because i live in dc that's very difficult but I went to the rally and I wanted to see what was going to happen. And I wanted to be there and put my own eyes on the scene so that I could make an assessment. And uh, when I was there, you know, it was like the nicest, chillest bunch of people you've ever been around. It was like one tenth as rowdy as any regular NFL football game. You've ever been to, right. Well, they and, weren't serving beer, I'm sure. <laughs> no, you know, they weren't, but you know, it was just very calm. Everybody very right. light. But yet very resolute in their opposition to the proposed laws by the Virginia, you know, uh, you know, legislature. Um, and I didn't see any violence. I didn't see any negativity whatsoever. Nothing. And I was there all day. It was a and massive then, group, too. I mean, it was, those pictures yeah, said a it lot. Was, it was like 25,000 people. It was pretty, yeah. it was pretty awesome. Uh, but the media reports from the left uh, and blue check Twitter, verified yep. journalists, all, they're like, 
this was a Nazi rally. There was these stormtroopers in the streets with their guns. And imagine if there were black people there with guns, they never would have allowed it. Well, of course there were black people there. (laughs) I mean, it's like the narrative was so divorced from what I experienced on the ground uh, that even though I have experienced the media lies myself personally, I've seen them also what happened with the Kavanaugh stuff and, and elsewhere and just a million times. And Mike Cernovich is hoaxed and everything has been really focused on this media stuff lately. And yet again, I was still surprised, shocked, saddened. Yeah. That what I experienced firsthand on the ground with my own eyes and ears and everything that I can confirm was being reported at 180 degree the opposite done with with only the intention of stirring up hate and anger and resentment and maybe violence uh and it and it really um it's just another depressing nail into the coffin of understanding that as scott adam says we're watching two different movies it's it's like way worse than that man we're living in like our own reality bubbles with our own laws of nature with our own laws of justice with our own religions our own moral codes and our own networks and our own everything they're completely separate they're totally fucking incompatible. And this tension, it's like a tectonic plate, the tension, they're just grinding and grinding and grinding opposite of each other, opposite of each other, opposite of each other. And I think at some point shit's going to skip and give and it's just something, something pretty significant is going to happen because there's, there is no compromising with these people and we cannot compromise on the fundamental notion of equality under the law and justice for all <laughs> we can't otherwise we don't have a country like, it yeah exist anymore. I, the reality tunnel or um divide is interesting and i think um i think the whole idea of like trump derangement syndrome is like the perfect um example of this where you know you, i travel enough and i know you do too where i could kind of see this before the election of 2016 um you, you can see there's there's places where people were very pro-trump and then you can go to other places it's completely the opposite but if you're like a lot of people that say they travel a lot but really they only go to places that have like international airports mm-hmm. they're stuck in their own little bubble right so yeah, totally. so, so it blew their mind when little towns of 50,000 people that are you know losing jobs to robots or china they just they just couldn't wrap their head around the idea that somebody would vote for this guy, you know, and he's not even a hardline Republican. The guy is constantly a contrarian. No, if he's anything, a, he's, he's a new, he's a New York liberal. He's the, yeah. first, he's the first president to ever come into office supporting gay marriage. I mean, that's a significant yeah. thing to say. Not Obama, right. not Clinton. Right. They both they, flipped. They flipped. They Obama they, didn't flip until well into his presidency. Yeah, they right? waited until the uh the masses of the country decided to flip as soon as right. it became popular. Right, which is why they're suckers and I hate them. But <laughs> uh, you know, I, the thing is 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 Trump is not about stated principles. Trump is about acting out defiance. Yeah. Acting out defiance against this new social justice regime, this new philosophy, this new moral code that the left is trying to impose on all of us. And so it was performative, um, you know, saying semi-racist shit like, oh, you mean we're not allowed to talk about race, right? Or saying like really uber sexist masculine shit. Oh, we're not allowed to make generalizations or talk about gender stereotypes. You know, and just on and on and on. It was a perform. It was a performance that showed 
he understood the constraints of this the SJWism, multiculturalism, and he understood what it felt like to be living under the vice of this new ideology. And so it's not necessarily that he has like a coherent political strategy that anyone can actually relate to because he is a political phenomenon unique to this exact time period. And this is a novel circumstance for us. Therefore, it will be novel no matter what. And it won't look like there's any coherence, but there is. There is a coherence. And the coherence is strictly in opposition to social justice, warrior, multiculturalism, identity, politics, intersectionality, whatever you want to call it. Right. And the way that he signaled that to all of us was by acting the way that he did and saying the things that he did. And so we, you know, I talk about this in the book, you know, most people sitting around their kitchen tables worrying about how expensive fucking health insurance is, wondering why the schools are so stupid, dealing with having traffic and shoveling kids to soccer practice, whatever the fuck, they're not going to be able to sit there and make this analysis. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And so they can only relate, rightfully so, rationally speaking, right? It's basically irrational to keep up on politics anyway. Rationally so, they're ignorant, rationally so. And so the only way they can process this information and the signaling is through the way it makes them feel, the way it makes them feel in their gut uh, and, and the way it gets their heart rate going. And so that was the way that he communicated to America. And America listened. I mean, the people who were capable of listening definitely did um and so i get annoyed and when people say that there's no ideological coherence there or he's not really republican or he's not whatever no he's not he's he's a unique thing right and there will be from here a family tree of thought that follows in the same footsteps that he has put forth now uh very complicated time for people to be alive and understand what's going on because none of the old labels apply and and i think that part of Part of that was that the, the people in charge of those old labels, they, they purposefully confused us, you know, like, is there any really meaningful distinction between Bush and Obama? No, not or, really, or, or especially Clinton. not in foreign policy. No, right. Or Clinton. Right. And so uh, it, it, it's they made it seem like they were competing, you know, these two parties are competing, but they were really all adhering to the same neo neoliberal policies, the Washington consensus, open, you know, free trade of people, capital and, and, and money or and machines rather. And and so there wasn't a really meaningful distinction. Um, and so now we're actually trying to figure out what the meaningful distinctions are. And those meaningful distinctions can come down to two one simple thing. It's like what is your version of of justice? Does your version of justice involve taking rights from some people? Are there some people in your world, in your version of justice that have less rights than others? Or there is your version of justice a world in which everyone has the same rights. And, you know, people on the left, well, they, they, in that statement, they will hear them as being the ones that championing rights for everyone. But in practice, they are people right. championing rights for some and not for, ever, for all. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're kind of caught up in this, this weird world where the ends justify the means, where they're, they're so caught up in this ideological war that they're fighting that they think, that they're on the right side of history, so they'll do whatever 
just to like look at Stephen Stefan Molyneux, you know, MailChimp kicks him off his mailing list just because some lady on Twitter shouts that he's a, a racist. I mean, there's no investigation. There's no we'll look into it. It's just, oh, well, thanks for letting us know he's canceled. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was pretty egregious. I'm not a huge Stefan Molyneux fan. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't yeah. agree with all of his ideas. And I, and I certainly, if I was his business manager, would have been advising him to take different course of action. However, that MailChimp shit was bullshit. And if people don't know, yeah. like some lady on, on Twitter was just like, hey, MailChimp, which is like an email service that, that content creators use. It's like, hey, this Stefan Molyneux is a racist. And they're like, oh, really? He's canceled. And they just booted like him instantly. off the system. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was the whole like, thing happened in like five minutes. Yeah. It was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. And so, okay. So this is a great example of the fact that there are these coordinated, well, not coordinated, there are these... Um, there's networks that are acting together in concert, right. even though they're uncoordinated, right? Like no one was like, oh, we need to you know, rally this lady over here to call it out and MailChimp, you need to do this and whatever. No, these are, these are loosely, loosely related networks, but they have the same goal. Right. And the same goal is enforcing this moral code, the moral code that has at its core the fact that white men are evil and the oppressors of everybody and everybody else has been totally fucked by white men and we have to do everything we can to fix and stop that. And that means taking away rights and privileges of white guys. And again, I feel, I hate talking, I hate talking about, I have to get over my, my weird shame about talking about race and stuff. Cause I literally don't give a shit. I'm a, I'm like meritocracy 110%. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't care. I've hired black people, Asian people, women, white people. I don't care. The best person, most effective person for the job. That's the rational thing to do. So it's everywhere. And these networks just pop up and they just start killing people. And they're working together. The corporations are working together with the resistance. Yeah. And we're the insurgency. We're the red insurgents. Yeah. It's... um. Again, not somebody I agree with, but the way Alex Jones was taken down by multiple different organizations all within the same day, I think is an alarming event that basically eventually just got swept under the news cycle as we moved on to the next outrage. And right. it's it's been completely forgotten about, but yeah, I mean, that's going to be their, their modus operandi. They're going to keep going after people one after another until they've stifled yeah, I, the conversation. They already are because people are self-censoring. In the, in the introduction and sort of sales pitch to the liminal order, I, I lay all this out. And I lay out the fact that there's these networks, the corporations, resistance, they're working together. And they don't want to just defeat your idea. They don't want to just, you know, battle it out with you. They want to, if they could, they would kill you. I believe that. I think you're right. They will do everything just short of that. They will take away your job they'll take away your income they'll take away your reputation they'll prohibit you from uh conducting financial transactions online they'll take away your access to social media they'll limit the way that you can communicate with the public um they'll do a million things and and they'll condemn anybody that associates with you and they'll do the same thing to them so the whole point of their system is to create exiled people in exile and their whole point uh, is to is to send people out into the wilderness so they don't have any support and they don't have any shelter and they're going to die out there. Um, and you know what? For some people, that's what happens. Cancel culture kills people. There was a story yeah. I read about a guy who said something stupid on YouTube and it became the first Google search on his name. This was a father with kids and he couldn't find a job for like two years or three years or something because of that. And, they, and then all of a sudden he was, went missing 
and like they just found him dead in his car right like cancel culture kills people it's not going to kill alex jones he had his own platform twitter was just fun for him it's not going to kill kevin hart getting canceled off the fucking oscars or whatever it was and luckily for me it didn't kill me either because i have a very strong network of people and i'm also if i may say i am exceptional in a lot of ways and in one way is i've got incredible stamina and i will not be defeated and i have a you know i can back that up so but for everyone else for normal people if you get booted off social media if you get blacklisted by seo if you have your financial transactions limited if you're not allowed to bank and if everywhere you go, you carry around a scarlet letter of some shit that you did 15 years ago and you can't get any gainful employment, I mean, that is, that is killing people. It's killing yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I mean, in certain corners of Twitter, there's a lot of go out and start your own business and do all that. But I mean, you and I know how hard that is. And it takes time. You can't do it <laughs> overnight. And most people are living paycheck to paycheck. So like you said, it's going to kill people. It's going to cost them their job. A lot of people are going to lose their family if they lose their job. It, it has serious real world effects. And they really don't care because they think that there are actual real world Nazis running around in America, which is the most insane misuse of the word. It's, and it's losing all meaning. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people that are growing up now are going to grow up and have no clue what that word means. They're going to, people are just going to think it's interchangeable for racist. And that word's also losing its meaning. No, my son goes, dad, they called PewDiePie a Nazi. <laughs> right. You do that and it's over. It's over. It's done. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not over for all the people in power. Right. Uh, and it still has a negative impact on you. But, you know, my kids at least are growing up well aware of all this shit well aware of all of it and for for them in particular they go to school very blue district all blue everybody blue democrat everywhere and you know there's like democrats that have horrible posters all over the house and there's books and they know and they know they know that i'm a trump supporter and all this and so they go to school and they go wherever and they hear people you know saying they hear pete Buttigieg saying that you know anybody that trump support uh, supports trump is a racist you know, and they, and they just hear all this shit and, and they're, they're like processing it and they're like, well, I know that's not true. Right. And so they're like, they're like building, they're building a reservoir of skepticism, which is good. And I don't think that's unique to just them. I think it's, I think it's actually part of the, their generation. Um, and one of the reasons why is because <laughs> when you were younger, you could probably, probably name at least one or two evening news anchors, right? Right, right. right? My, my kids have literally never once watched news on television. Okay? It's changed. But they get all the information. Yeah. They get everything. Yeah. I asked my daughter, my youngest daughter, I was like, would you rather be like TV famous or YouTube famous? And she's like, YouTube famous, of course. Because TV is stupid. Nobody cares about TV. <laughs> so there's, there's a whole culture that's being created through media that has a different perspective. And yeah. it remains to see you know, what happens when they get older. But it's possible no, it's- that they're learning a new life. It's possible. They are. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's good. Um, you know, for, there was a while there where we were complaining that only six companies control all the media organizations, but they're losing their grip. You know, the, the geriatric older people, the people that sit in airports, they're watching CNN, they're watching Fox News. But these younger people, the millennials and younger, that's not where they get their information. It's all online, Twitter, YouTube, stuff I don't even know about. TikTok, which I barely even understand. TikTok's good fun, dude. It's good fun. <laughs> Maybe I need to get more into it. I, I, have, I have spent the last two or three months 
investigating TikTok. <laughs> no, I, I have a I have a TikTok. All right, we'll say this. All right, if, if you're on TikTok, go follow Pat the Mailingist and, and is it uh Jack Murphy Live? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't I don't have an account there. I've only just been observing. That's what uh, I'm doing. I just I have no followers. I have like one video. <laughs> it it is the future, man. And the speed the speed at which information travels on TikTok is astounding. Yeah, it seems um, like it. But it's also just a. I don't want to get on this tangent, so I'll just say this. <laughs> it is a fucking cesspool. Uh, and yeah. fathers, fathers and daughters and mothers, if you have kids and they're anywhere near TikTok age, you best be checking that shit because it is. It's it, there. There's a direct connection between 13 year olds and adults, and it's. Uh, I think it's dangerous, and I think it, I think this is gonna bear itself out in the next year or two. I think I think that's a story that repeats itself. That's a story that repeats itself. Every every new technology source where there's like um, a lot of young kids seems to just attract those people. Yeah. Yeah, but this one's different because it's basically videos and pictures of like people's bedrooms and their kitchens and their very intimate oh, yeah. lives and their private moments, and it's like. Uh, it's 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 just different there's a there's a visceralness to it that uh, seems very wrong and uh, I, I think there's gonna be I think there's the, the reaction to this is gonna be actually pretty swift once everybody realizes what's what's happening I mean you've got basically like 13 year old 13 year old girls pimping themselves out uh, via video and dancing and shit to to like you know an endless sea of, of, of older men that they don't even, Jesus. yeah, no, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, and we just saw today, like a 13, like a, a doctor doing little TikTok dance videos, encouraging, you know, teenagers and preteens to engage in. I, yeah. Premarital was going sex on and, yeah. 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 So, you know, it, there, there's going to be a lot happening on TikTok, but I don't, I don't want to talk too much about it. No, th- there is a strange, strange push. And I, I hate, I don't like to talk about it. Cause I, I get worried about getting canceled and shit, but th- there is um, this weird push towards uh, normalizing like younger people. Um, and I think the poster child of it's that um, 11 from stranger things, whatever her actress name is a uh, Bobby something. Um, but, but she's like, uh, she's, she looks like she's older than she is. And they're, they're putting her out there and they're obviously making her look more, um, I don't know, I guess attractive, but it's it's messed up. She's a you know, child. I'm gonna have to push. I'm gonna have to push back on this a little bit. This is this is like a pretty common theme in right right wing Twitter out there, uh, and you know maybe I'm gonna catch a lot of shit for this. I don't I don't care. Um, every culture everywhere at all times forever has always valued youth. Okay, Agreed. and every culture everywhere has always valued young women. Okay, young women at the age of 11, 12, 13, at the time as which they became fertile, were sexual objects for basically all of history. Okay, it's only here in the United States where you have these laws, and even the age of consent in a lot of places is only 16, in some places it's 18. Um, but this is nothing new. There's no people being even mildly attracted to girls that are 16 or thinking that they're sexual objects is not a new phenomenon. Okay. Now, look, if we're talking about prepubescent kids, it's sick, it's stupid, it's wrong, it should be criminalized. I have seen no evidence that there is any real push to normalize sexual relations with prepubescent you know, children. I've seen none of that. And if you ask any human being on the street, every human being's first and immediate reaction to that is going to be, it's fucking disgusting. Now, this vilification of the fact that people think that a 16-year-old girl is sexually attractive, I think that's, I think that's bullshit. It's been everywhere at all time in every society ever for the history of all of humans. They're sexually active, and, or not active, but they're fertile. They're like designed to be sex objects. That's the, they're meant to attract people. Of course they're going to be attractive. Now, is, is it morally right 
for a 45-year-old man to date a 16-year-old? Okay. I, I would say no. I would say definitely no. However, but to like have this idea that they're a sex object, I don't think is actually all that crazy. Now, I mean, if you're an 18-year-old boy and you see a 16-year-old, I, I get that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I don't think that we should be engaging them in a sexual way whatsoever. But like these notions that because they're putting teenagers on TV and making them look sexy, that we're in some some slide towards pedophilia. Uh, I don't I don't buy that. And I know a lot of guys push that and people push that shit because pushing anything controversial and edgy is going to get you clicks and attention. And of course, what kind of bravery is it to come out against pedophilia? (laughs) It's not a brave position. You know, we all agree. We all agree. Right. (laughs) Um, We don't have to talk about this anymore, but that's like. (laughs) that's that's just that that's one of these things that i see out there that i know is deliberately used as sensationalism and it bothers me so i just said something okay that's no that's fair that's fair that's a good point though i mean there is there is a lot of sensationalism that's being pushed and i mean that's a big part of the problem in that um i think some people spend too much time stuck in their house stuck in their basement reading stuff online where you're going to get the more sensational stuff pushed up but if you spend more time say kids soccer practice at you know, karate, like most of the conversations Anywhere are actually more with rational. Human beings. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're going to have people asking you to buy Girl Scout cookies. The, the world's surviving. It's not yeah, as. It, now, are we, are we in a state of affairs where like sexual libertinism is a little bit more accepted than it was before? No doubt yeah. about it. I really think so. And I've studied this and I've talked to experts. I had on my own podcast, uh, the leading sex researcher from the Kinsey Institute. Okay. So this guy's like the number one sex researcher in the world. And we talk about all this stuff and yeah, people's, people's views are becoming a little bit more, excuse me, that's the beer, uh, a little bit more. Um, I mean, what's happened is that there were things in the past that were classified as being like sexual dysfunctions and sexual yeah. de- which are like totally normal and so like as they strip away the sort of stigma around some things which are which are totally normal like you know maybe like you want to tie your girlfriend up or she wants <laughs> hands around her neck or whatever or right. switch not for me but or whatever yeah um, these things were listed as as like actual mental illnesses until not just not too long ago and so there's been a relaxation around social norms around those and those things have become more accepted but I still don't see any evidence that this is spilling over into a like increased sexual assault rates, increased rape rates, increased rates of pedophilia, any of that shit. And in fact, sexual assault and rape, as we both know, are at all time lows. Right. It's never been safer to be a woman in America. People aren't getting raped. They're just getting harassed and they're not even really getting harassed. They're just getting hit on by the guys that they don't want to get hit on. And so there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a fake crisis out there. Um, but, uh, you know, are are human beings any innately like more perverted and disgusting than they were before? I would argue not. I've seen depictions of pornography from ancient Egypt where there's threesomes and gay sex and all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. I I think they're more open about it now than they were before. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. No, they're definitely more open about it because it's no longer classified as a mental mental (laughs) illness. If you like a little bit of rough sex, you know, like I believe me, I'm, I I know firsthand about that. I've written, that's how I first started getting into this whole game was writing about sex and BDSM. You know, I don't say any of this without careful thought. I hope everybody understands that. No, I think you, I think you're fine. Um, well, where, where do you land on, on the whole like porn debate though? Because I mean, I, I've watched porn before. I've kind of gotten away from it, but I mean, coming <laughs> coming coming back into it like more recently, it's it's definitely gotten much more perverse. There's a lot more like focus on incest and taboo stuff, which I I suppose so, by so its think, very so think nature, about this. Think about this. All right, where does the quote script? 
where porn come from. I, it comes from, I don't know. It comes from our brains. Demand. It comes from our brains. It comes from consumer demand. It comes from our own fantasies. Yeah. Our fantasies manifest into porn. Porn does not manifest fantasies into people's heads. Okay. We've got that directionality totally fucking wrong. I am a, am I a porn advocate? I don't know. I think that <laughs> people, I think that pornography should be, if you're 18 years or older, you should be able to be a porn actress if you want. Yeah. And if you're, if you're 18 years or older, you should be able to download wherever porn you want and jerk off to whatever you want. Okay. I believe that hundred percent. I'm, I may be one of the more sex positive guys you're going to have on this podcast, but the point is, is I also believe in agency and individual choice. Right. So uh, if a girl wants to, if she thinks it's the best thing for her to go become a porn actress at age 20, then you know what, who am I to judge? I have no idea what her life is. I have no idea her circumstances or what her goals are. Anyway, is there a certain element of the population that has some sort of significant trouble in dealing with porn and masturbation in general as a detriment, it becomes detrimental to their life. Sure. I, I, I'm certain of that. It's completely obvious and evident that yeah. that's the case. There are guys that suffer tremendously from disruptive behaviors. Um, my take, and I don't come to this lately. I've interviewed a guy who's a leading expert on pornography, Dr. David Lay. He's been on my podcast as well. Uh, I believe that those people would find problems in virtually anything that they were going to be doing and that they're just exhibiting a problem that they had already. It's just coming out in that particular manner. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm I'm kind of on board. I can use porn. I can jerk off porn. I can look at whatever crazy thing I want to look at on the screen. And then five minutes later, I'm totally fine. And I'm going about my day and uh, having sex with my girlfriend later at night. And I'm not asking her to, you know, do something that's you know completely you know, <laughs> illegal or, or, or wrong or whatever so yeah. i think it's like most things where like in in moderation it's probably not gonna hurt you i don't yeah. i don't think it's necessarily good for you either but like at the well, same time well, i don't why? i don't think it needs to be banned i don't have like this crusade against it like some people All do right, let's let's take let's take one other approach to this all right uh, I, I interviewed John Fitch, MMA star. He fought George St. Yeah. Pierre for the welterweight championship in the UFC, won 10 straight fights in the UFC at one time. And we talk about visualization. We talk about visualization as a way to prepare for a fight. And he made the case as long as everyone else makes the case. Well, if you can close your eyes, you can visualize an activity, a fight, experience, or whatever, and your brain thinks it's real. It's the whole point behind visualization is that your brain thinks it's real. And he would tell me about how he'd be driving in his car, thinking about his fight, and he like almost ripped the steering wheel off because he's like trying to do an arm bar in his brain at the stoplight, okay? So like mental images are as real as real life. When you close your eyes and masturbate to 25 girls in, in like, you know, naked, blonde, throwing little pickles at you while they like fan you with palm fronds, right? Your body yeah. thinks it's real. That's why you get an erection. It's why right. you're able to ejaculate. So it's in your mind already. It's not changing who you are because you visualized it, even though your body thought it was real. Okay. So like, are you going to tell me, and it's not you, I'm just saying right. to, the, right. to the porn haters out there that like, I'm not allowed to close my eyes and visualize to the point that my body gets aroused and then I can masturbate. That's retarded. What's really happening with most of these porn crusades is that it's an anti-masturbation crusade. It's people thinking that masturbating in itself is wrong. 
okay? And these people tend to have more religious backgrounds and they tend to see masturbation as a sin. So they just couch it in the conversation of pornography. They say, you can't watch porn. What they're really saying is you can't masturbate. And if you're going to stand there and tell me that I can't masturbate, then I know you're not anybody that I want to talk to, right? I just don't right. think that that's a reasonable position because let me clue you in. 100% of those <laughs> of all history have masturbated at one time or another and they didn't die. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> no, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, uh, again, this is my job. I think about these things all the time, every day, these cultural issues, these online issues, these you know, porn, politics, tech, and all this. So, like, people who are listening, I'm not just spouting off. I'm not just a guy in my basement with ideas. Like, I've done the research. I've talked to experts, sex experts, porn re you know, experts, fight and visualization experts. I put this yeah. all together to come to an understanding that's grounded in science and, 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 and reality. Uh, and I don't have a crusade other than to just pursue the truth in those avenues. Yeah. It's, it's just been odd. It's not always something I think about or talk about much. Um, but like recently the whole, like no fat movement, it became with, I just, I don't know where like not doing something became an achievement. It's, you know? fucking, it's marketing. Okay. It so is marketing. Gotta, it's, it's, it's tribe building. Yeah. It's cult, it's cult building. And and one of the ways that you get people to into your cult and to believe in you all the time is to make them stop doing the shit that they were doing before. They need to have a clean break. You, they, you need to identify someone's perceived weakness, exacerbate it, and then tell them that you've got the answer. That's how you gain long-term devoted sycophantic followers. And I believe that that is part of the game that's going on out there. Yeah, I think you're right. Do you... um? What do you think of the current state of the manosphere right now? I mean, <laughs> when are you going to publish this? Hopefully tomorrow. So oh, okay. hopefully the All 24th. Right. So it'll, be, it'll be contemporary. Um, man. Yeah. State of the manosphere. Because there's a, there's a lot happening right now. I, I've heard accusations that there's a cold war. There's, there's definitely a lot more capitalist um, endeavors than there ever have been before. I mean... I'm kind of quick to dismiss a lot of this stuff and say that there's always going to be fighting over ideals and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and by and large, it's good that a lot of young men have this many different resources, even if some of them aren't the best. I think it's good they have different options out there. Yeah. So the manosphere, that's a really good, that's a really good question. It is the path to me on this podcast. It has to come right. up. Right. So <laughs> I, I am a, I am a product of the manosphere. I'm also a contributor. Um, I've been reading game blogs, relationship blogs and whatever evolutionary psych <clears throat> since 2009. Um, I was there in the early days. I mean, Royce Harty stuff started like 2007, I think, but I was there in 2009, which was still early. I read Roosh. I read Rolo before, right when he even just launched Rational Mail. Yeah. Um, I remember when Jack Donovan, Delicious Tacos, Bronze Age Perfect, myself, Goldman, Christian McQueen, Rolo, Roosh, you know, it, it, to, just to name the first 10 that come to mind, we're all in the same forum together, still figuring all this shit out, right? Yeah. So I have a, a personal connection to the Manosphere uh, and you know, I, I believe that there was a lot of good that came out of it. It is nothing like it was back then, right? So back then, it was just people offering up information to try to help each other have fun. 
And then it evolved into, you know, Rolo became really, really powerful and, and it evolved into like uh, combining Evo Psych uh, and, you know, Rolo's praxeology, his red pill, his red pill theories. And it became, you know, sort of academic and whatnot. And along the way, we surfaced out, you know, these issues around feminism and SJW stuff. And we sort of crowdsourced that problem uh, among all of us. And that actually may turn out to be one of the more important exports of the Manosphere. Yeah. Especially as I was just talking about how Claremont Institute is now basically echoing everything that we, everything that was in my book, basically they've been echoing. Uh, and, and if you read it, it sounds like it could have been written on a manuscript blog uh, in, in 2010. Okay. Um, the manosphere as it once was this golden age that we have, the, we got to remember there's a pre Twitter manosphere also. Yeah. Okay. And so that was when everybody just had blogs. The only way you found out about other blogs was through the blog role and the comment sections were where the life life was. And then Twitter happened and Twitter killed blogs for everybody. It killed the blogs uh, comment section, except for Rolos, who's pretty robust still. And it brought the conversation online to Twitter and Twitter made it much more accessible for people. Back then in the old days, man, ministry was like an underground thing. It was like a yeah. only practically. It was hard to find. It was very hard to find. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a lot, I think I found it through word of mouth. Like a, somebody yeah, yeah. in real life told me about it. Yeah. Definitely. Same. Yeah. Same. Because yeah. uh, didn't, you didn't even know you could no. search for that. It was, like, it was like a speakeasy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> no, the thought uh, never crossed anybody's mind to Google yeah. search for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so where are, you know, where are we now? Uh, where we now is that we're like in a semi-mature market stage where there's yeah. a lot of commercial actors. I mean, I'm a commercial actor in right. adjacent, adjacent to the sphere and, and I got no shame about it whatsoever uh, because, you know, my guys and I know that we're you know, all creating value together. So it's like win-win. We're just going to do more of it. Right. Um, but there's a lot of hucksters and scamsters as there are everywhere. And there's a lot of pseudoscience getting put forth as being real science. Um, you know, let's take, for example, like how hypergamy is supposed to be the end all be all deciding factor for every fucking decision that ever happens in a woman's life and every consequence for every guy that ever happened is all because of fucking hypergamy. <laughs> Excuse me. Is, I hope this is not a family friendly podcast. No, it's not. You can cuss all you want. You, say whatever you, want. <laughs> um, you know, and like what that adherence to hypergamy and if people don't know, it's just that the, basically the tendency for women to want to marry sideways or up okay uh which basically sums it all up but it gets even yeah. deeper in that and there's like ovulatory cycle shifts where if you have this amount of hormone you want to have sex with this kind of guy and this amount of hormone you want sex with that kind of guy all of it presupposes that women are incapable of making their own decisions yeah <laughs> and i don't know if you've ever met a woman before <laughs> But she can make her own decisions and she really does. And in fact, and in fact, women make decisions that override their biological impulses all the time. Yes. So do men. Yes. Okay? Every day. We constantly. all do. If, yeah. if we didn't, I live near, I almost said the university, but it would get me in trouble. I live near a big university and there are college girls all over the place. If I wasn't constrained by morality and <laughs> law and customs and norms, I would just be bonking them girls on the head and dragging them back to my house all the time. Right. I'm not. Okay? Half of them, you wouldn't even have to bonk. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, okay? I, I just read a really good example of this. 
uh, is Dr. Sean Smith. Um, he's coming out with a thing on hypergamy here pretty soon. He's a clinical psychologist and he works in the field and he's sort of red pill adjacent. So he's got a very interesting, unique look. He's a, he's a doctor, then a therapist, uh, but he's red, very red pill aware, very involved. So he has a very interesting perspective and he laid it out like this. He's like, look, to him, the most beautiful car in the world is like a 1980 something Lamborghini. And he could even afford one at this point. But he doesn't buy one. It's a pain in the ass. It's expensive. It's yeah. impractical. It's sort of pointless. And he's very happy driving the car that he's driving. And he's totally content. That's a decision that people make. You can make a decision that overrides your impulses and your urges. And, right. and, and so when red pill comes to the extreme of blaming everything on hypergamy and a women's urge to marry sideways or up or leave you for someone better uh, because they can trade up because the mere, yeah. the mere presence of a higher status man is going to make her leave her family and leave her kids. You know, these things are, have become ossified as ways to um, relieve men of the responsibility that they have in order to be fucking good, high quality people. Okay. You want to know the answer to hypergamy? Be better. Yeah. It, I, um, I was lucky and then I found um, all this red pill stuff, especially like the rational mail book early on. Um, but it took me a little while before I figured out that there's, I thought there was a distinct difference between like the average man and then like the high value man. I didn't realize that you could easily change. Well, not easily, but you could change. Like you yeah. said, just be better. And then suddenly it's not an issue. It's not, it's not an issue. It's actually it's getting easier because a lot of these guys now easier. are just sitting around playing video games. They aren't really working that hard. Like it's not that hard to beat your competition anymore. It's not. And as Jeffrey Miller, uh, the esteemed Evo psychologist said on my podcast as well, he's like, look, people think you need to be all muscle bound and broody to get women. You have to be strong to get women. No, no, no. You have to be physically capable. You have to be able to like walk around, do things, lift shit and fuck. That's all you really have to do. You know, right. us guys that lift for size and strength, we all know who that's for. That's for other, that's for other dudes <laughs> and status among other dudes. Like chicks yeah. like big guys, they really do. But you know what? They will be perfectly happy with a guy that looks slim in a shirt if he's strong underneath, right? It's just, yeah. it's just so silly to think that, human being of any kind, men or women are completely 100% driven by their biological impulses and that have no, which, which, which let's be more specific biological impulses, which would lead to suboptimal outcomes. Okay. Right. So right. It would be a suboptimal outcome for a woman to marry a, what they would call a beta and then cheat on him with an alpha and have the whole thing get blown up. That's a suboptimal optimal outcome. She's not going to do that. Right. right. Um, and I just think that, yes, it's a useful heuristic to think that women date sideways or up. It's fact. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's, it's, it's indisputed, but it's not uh, something that's driving their behavior every single day and every single decision that they make. They think about the big picture too. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this. I've noticed this. Maybe it's just because of me, but like every girl I ever dated, her next two or three boyfriends or husbands or whatever were fucking lame. Okay. They were nothing like me. They were nothing yeah. like me. So it really gives like, you know, hey, well, women are going to leave you or, or relationships are going to end so they can date up. No, that's not that's not what happens, man. Yeah, I had, I had the exact same experience. Especially, I had a couple of girls that married the next guy and, and they were both definitely a step down. It was kind of bizarre to watch. Yeah. 
Well, but, I, yeah. well, I think uh, that's actually a natural, a natural phenomenon. I, I have rarely seen, except in maybe like college circumstances or high school circumstances, where a woman will be in a relationship and some some swinging dick comes by, and then all of a sudden she just is like, <laughs> "I'm out," and then it's over, and it's I, like. Uh, the, yeah. I think it's just like a boogeyman. And a lot of it is just about um, searching for ways to relieve yourself of responsibility. Yeah, that's that's huge right there. Because it's, it's really easy to sell to somebody that it's not your fault that you didn't improve or that you got worse. It's her fault because, right. it's her fault. yeah, yeah, it's, it's the fusion of responsibilities. So what do I think about the minister? I think that there are some really good things that came out of it. I think that teaching guys basic game, I think basic game is essential, yeah. right? You have to know that alpha, beta, gamma, whatever. You have to know basic game, uh, which is also, we used to call this just human interaction um so but you have to know there are definitely some chips and tricks that really work uh there, there really are yeah. um and, and but it doesn't take but more than you know a year of intense reading to figure out to figure all that out yeah um but uh and any any philosophy or you know culty religiousy kind of thing like the red pill can be that that leads to suboptimal societal outcomes is a loser also. So like the natural evolution for red pill thinking basically is, is what is what like, don't get married. Women will leave you at the drop of a dime. They're hypergamic and they'll swing to the next branch as soon as yeah. possible. Keep spinning uh, plates. You're probably getting cucked. Uh, <laughs> all these things. It's like, Oh, all right. So societally what we're supposed to not trust women enough to get married or have long-term relationships. Yeah. And we're also what supposed to fuck a bunch of girls and leave them. I call, I call this the um, reserve army of the useless sluts. This is, this is a necessary ingredient to the red pill philosophy. If you're going to quote spin plates and then marry a good girl, right? You're by definition creating two classes of women. And so if your philosophy or praxeology, I'm not even sure what that means. If your viewpoint on the world is that in order for things to be right, you need a class of women that are worth marrying and a class of women that are worth fucking, then that's not going to be good for all, for, for any of us. Yeah. And so that's a sub optimal outcome. And that doesn't seem rational to me. And evolution probably didn't select us for something that would be suboptimal like that. That's just my take as a lay person. There's probably, uh, you know, evo psych professors that could answer that much better than me. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, it's, it's unrealistic for most men to even like think that way. You know, most guys simply aren't cut out for it. Most people don't want it. Most people aren't capable of it. No. And it's, look, the early game stuff and early rollo riding for sure. And, yeah. and becoming, becoming aware of our evolutionary tendencies, all this stuff really helped me. There's no question about it. Same here. Um, it, it helped me raise my status from where I was when I was coming out of my, my divorce. My status was pretty high before I got married. That's why I got married at a young age. Girl found me. She's like, I'm locking you down, blah, blah, blah. It just happened. You know, I never in my whole life before I got married worried once about finding a girl. Every time I turned around, there was just another girl standing there staring at me with wide eyes and dilated pupils and just being like, hi. And so like, I never had to learn game. I never had to learn process. I never learned any of it because there was just always girls around. I'm a big guy. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm tall. I'm handsome. I'm smart. It's only natural that this is going to happen to me. But the divorce, man, it beat me down. It beat me down. It broke my spirit. It, 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 it tricked me into thinking I was low status. It tricked me into thinking that I was inferior somehow. And so the part of the recovery process there was, was, was building a scaffold system, which is what I consider game techniques to be. It's a scaffolding that allows you, buys you time to build yourself up to where you need to be. And whether it's rebuilding or constructing fresh, game is great scaffolding. But once you build your structure, you don't need the scaffold anymore. And in fact, for a guy like me, game doesn't work. Okay. Like if I run quote dread game on a girl, she's like, this is going to be horrible for the rest of my life. I'm out of here. Right. She doesn't, <laughs> right. doesn't want to participate that in, in that in any way whatsoever. And if I play aloof, they think I'm just not interested because yeah. that's when you get to a certain point, game becomes, um, if you run game, it works. It's counterproductive. Okay. I have to go full beta game. I have to, I have to reassure them that I'm interested in them in order to get their interest because they already are doubting the fact that I would be interested in the first place. So if you, but I wouldn't have been able to do that right out of my divorce because my brain wasn't there. My mindset wasn't there. I wasn't in shape. I was fat. My finances were fucked up. Didn't, I didn't even think about my presentation to the world. You know, like I didn't think about any of that. So I needed it. I needed game in order to get me time, to buy me time. Yeah. And after a while, you got to just get rid of it. You got to grow out of it. And that's what I want to see happen. I want to see all the guys, and it's happened, some of them. I want to see all the guys that started this shit back in late 2000, early 2010. I want to see them grow and move on. So, some of them kind of are in some way. I mean, Roosh has gone very religious and I, I don't have any idea what to say about that yet so I don't, I don't really have a take on it we'll see how it plays out maybe that's a natural order as you get older i'm only 32 i don't know yeah yeah <sighs> i mean the, i always laugh when guys quote uh, that like uh think and Fine grow God. rich think and grow rich napoleon napoleon hill is that what it is? that's napoleon hill yeah. yeah who talks about transmuting your sexual, yeah. your sexual energy that sure. is some bullshit, dude. All that guy is talking about is the fact that he got old, and as he got older, he wanted to make money more than he wanted to fuck. That's yeah. normal. <laughs> well, and I might be wrong on this, but I think there's, um, I think there's a growing shift where like the millennials tend to be a little bit decadent, and they were interested in game and drinking and video games, all sorts of shit. And this younger generation that's like just now, like drinking age, they seem a little bit more traditional and more into religion. So maybe there's an uh, alternative reason why people are starting to preach the God pill, so to speak over the red pill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know what to make of Roos just yet. And I, and, and I don't, I don't, don't want to, well, first of all, I know that Roos lost the plot a long time ago. Okay. He yeah. lost the plot in terms of like how to be a normal person in this world and like how to interact with humans. And like, I remember very specifically, it was when he was in Denmark and he's like telling stories about, you know, basically like following girls down abandoned streets at four in the morning and like coercing them basically into having sex with them. Like yeah. I remember commenting on his blog then that that was wrong and you had lost a plot dude. And he right. banned me from his, from his comments. I was, I was banned ultimately from, from Roosh's forum because he called me a social justice warrior, which is pretty Jesus funny. Christ. You know, so um, where Roosh is now, I don't know. Is it legit? Is it real? Is it just a natural evolution? I used to call this a uh, player NUI. 
And NUI means like, you know, boredom and lack of energy and apathy towards things. After a while, after you've had sex with every female archetype that there is, well, what's next? Like, why? Yeah, and I think that's a big problem of the manosphere, um, red pill in general. You know, the idea of the red pill is interesting, but like red pill seems to only get applied into inner gender dynamics. Everyone seems interested in getting getting laid, which makes sense because most people want what they don't have. So a lot of people are struggling. And that's what they want to focus on. But I mean, the idea of the red pill really should be much more broad than just having sex. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's a whole lot of different red pills out there and that's just one side of the, you know, the dice or the coin or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think red pill has been co-opted today. Co-opted. I mean, look, let's just be clear. The red pill came from the matrix. Rolo Mm -hmm. did not invent the term red pill. Good (laughs) fucking grief. Okay. He stole it from someone else. 21 years ago. He stole it from a movie and now is mad that other people are using it too. Right. So, um, yeah, the red, red pill just, it always meant, and it still means, um, peeling away the layers of deceit and deception that are around you and trying to become aware of the truth. You know, it's, it's pretty simple. And you can see that in politics, people call it the red pill. People call, you know, evolutionary psychology the red pill they call all kinds of things red pill as long as that there's like some element of truth being revealed that was previously yeah hidden yeah. systematically there's, hidden there's red pills to your career you know you, you come out of college and you think loyalty matters but then you figure out that <laughs> you know it's just you gotta figure out what's best for yourself and stop worrying about your employer and being loyal and that bullshit yeah, there's, yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of red pills to be had, and it's not exclusive to intergender dynamics. And we started off the conversation talking about a lot of them. I mean, yes. we, we were taught, I was, you're younger than me, when I was, you know, I'm Gen X. And when we were coming up, you know, we were taught, hey, race doesn't matter, gender doesn't matter, pay no attention to anybody's color or sex or anything. Right. And we're like, oh, okay. And then we behave that way. And then now... It's like, no, no, just kidding. That's a lie. We're super concerned about race and we're mostly concerned about yours. And we're going to talk about it constantly all the time until the day you die. That's a red pill. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing that's interesting with the whole race dynamics is like these, these Asian guys that go to college and they get, um, they have to get better grades than everybody else. And yet they don't really speak up about it. They don't say anything. I don't, I don't know how long it's going to take for them to figure it out, but they can just like hide their race. I mean, I, I, don't know, I guess their name kind of gives it away sometimes, but if you hide your race and like, wouldn't that make it easier to get into college if you're some Asian kid? Right. Like there's ways where you can kind of like play the system a little bit. I think, I think it's very obvious that um, some of the things that we put in place as a way to remedy prior injustices right. has now created additional new injustices and neither one of them are good. So let's stop creating new injustices. How about that? I like that. Yeah. You can't regulate your way out of every problem. <laughs> no, you can regulate your, your way into, into plenty of, you know, <laughs> into plenty of um, <clears throat> just one last thing on the, on the manosphere. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I had I previously had spoken at a two twenty one conventions, Anthony Johnson's thing in Orlando, mm-hmm. and then he and I had sort of like a falling out uh, where we just didn't agree on the vision of the future. Um, and uh, 
get, I'm going to be speaking. <laughs> I'm going to be speaking there again this May. Uh, so Anthony and I have, have talked and uh, we've uh, resolved our differences and I'm going to go participate in the 2021 20, convention, which is truly one of the premier events for people that have come out of or participate in the manosphere. There's no question about that. Uh, and the reason that I'm doing that is because um, the attendees, right? Like, okay. It's the, it's the guys that go that make that event special. Uh, yeah. I want to go and just meet some more guys and make some more connections and just connect with guys that see the world the same way that I do. Uh, or at least similarly. And I like the idea of um, I like the idea of guys getting together in the real world and, and interacting because um, it's just a lot of guys out there have similar beliefs and feelings, but like just the nature of men, we tend not to share stuff. We don't open up, and it's hard to find each other. So I don't think we realize how many guys are out there dealing with the same problems that we're dealing with, you know. And, that's oh. been really enlightening coming to the side of the Twitter, especially as a creator. I think it's different when you're a creator versus consumer because you actually see everyone coming to you more. Yeah. Whereas if you're a consumer, it feels a little bit more lonely. Yeah. Well, no, being, being isolated is a huge problem. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? Like everyone knows deep down in their hearts, like deep, even the most ardent feminist knows in her bones. Yeah that sexual polarity is a good thing, right. right? Sexual dimorphism, masculine, feminine energy, men and women are different. They know it deep in their bones. Okay. So if they know it and you see it, you see the dissonance come out in all this wild behavior and crazy shit. Right. Right. So if they know it, then your average dude in a cubicle with two kids and a wife that won't fuck them. He knows it too. And he knows that he's in a weird spot and he knows that it's not right. And he knows something's wrong, but he doesn't know what it is, but he doesn't know who to talk to. And, you know, there is definitely a plague of isolation and loneliness out there for men, partially because they don't know that they don't know that other guys are feeling the same way. I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the great things about 21 convention or other events or fraternity of excellence with Hunter Jew, or my thing with Liminal Order, guys, we get we're getting together. We're actually meeting in person. Liminal Orders had meetings all across the country: Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Denver, Nashville, Tennessee, Austin, Texas, uh, Washington D.C., all over the place. Getting together in person, in real life, to break bread, drink beers, shoot the shit in a in a in in an environment in which you know that you can assume people see the world similarly, which you can't assume in most instances, uh, and that people are fluent in the language that you're fluent in, uh, and that they understand what you're going to say, and you have a common, you know, a common background, uh, and there is a real freedom and and energy in coming together with guys like that when you know compare it let's say to going to you know your kids little league game sure you're there with the dads you're talking it's fine you kind of flirt with the other guy's wife for a sec and you just you know it's fun it's fine it's yeah. fine but like there's nothing substantial there no. you have completely opposing worldviews. you don't see things the same way you don't think about the same things and so you can be standing there in public surrounded by people but still totally feel isolated yeah and that's one of the things that everybody says, not everybody, a lot of guys say when they come into the limit order, I'm the only guy that thinks like me in my office. 
I want to object to this racial, uh, you know, brainwashing program that they've got us on, but no one else is stepping up about it. Uh, you know, I hate the fact that we're forced to hire people of color instead of white people. You know, not that there's anything wrong with people of color, but like that shouldn't be the goal of the job opening, right? Right. It should just be blind based on merit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, guys, are, they, they tell me, they're like, there's no one, I, I, I need people to talk to. Yeah. And, and so our community, Liminal Order in particular, um, that's liminal-order.com. Uh, liminal Order, it, it's bringing guys together and we go way beyond these initial things. So the, it, the, the common worldview brings us together, but then, but then we're able to move into a deeper level of relationship in terms of brotherhood and sort of a masculine love uh, and camaraderie. Uh, and, and we've created a, a, a network and we've created ways that guys can support each other. Let me give you a quick example. We had a guy, it was his wedding week. Okay. It was like Wednesday. He's getting married on Saturday. Things were tight because of the wedding and they were tight because of some shit. Otherwise, uh, something that happened before too. And his truck broke down. Okay. His truck broke down and he wasn't gonna be able to drive all the people around from out of town. It was a huge hassle for him. He's getting married in like three days and he's already financially strapped in like two hours. Guys in the limo order raised $1,500 for him, sent it to him, fixed his fucking truck that day. <sighs> That's amazing. Okay? And he didn't even ask. He just mentioned, he's like, oh, fuck, guys, this happened. And behind the scenes, boom, 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 $1,500, truck fixed, problem solved. Next. Awesome. And, and so like that goes way beyond red pill ideology. It goes way beyond being anti-feminist or you know, uh, anti-Democrat Trumpian or whatever. That's just yeah. like finding your brothers and building something good out of it. And that's what our goal is. And that's what we're trying to do. And that's why that's why I want to like, you know, just engage with as many guys on the ground as I possibly can, because we've got the good shit going on. I just want to like get it to people. I think it's an amazing thing. I think it's powerful. Um, you know, I, I haven't gotten to that stage yet, but like I, um, I had, I had the same frustrations. That I like this guy in the cubicle, all these, all these people you're explaining where um, over the last few years, I've had that sense of like isolation. I felt alone. Um, not only that, I feel like, pretty much every male space has been attacked. You know, what's left besides places like liminal order or fraternity of excellence for guys to turn to, uh, women have curves and all woman gym. Where's the all do gym? Why don't we have one of those? You know, um, not that it's the greatest hobby, but video games have been just decimated. They used to be a male dominated space and now it's controlled by the SJWs. The gamer gate I'm convinced was like an intentional attack on masculinity in this space and i mean i don't really play video games much anymore but you can just you can kind of see how like this sjw ideology is creeping into it you know and it's and it's just part of that narrative warfare where they're just they're trying to attack all male yeah they have to attack everything they have to break down all of your bonds they have to break down all of your your community to your brotherhood they have to destroy every element of masculine power that there is and one of those elements masculine power is brotherhood Right. Okay. Yeah. So they have to break that down as well. Um, they have to, uh, they have to pathologize, pathologize uh, typical male behavior. Uh, they have to, you know, say that uh, wanting to take risks and strive for achievements is somehow toxic and sick. Yeah. Right. Uh, they talk about um, learning how to control your emotions, not be 
emotionless, not be a zombie, but like learn how to sense that you're becoming anxious and calm that down or learn how to sense that you're becoming upset and learn how to calm that down or you're becoming angry and learn how to calm that down, that that is somehow some sort of toxic psychological phenomenon. They're attacking us from every direction and every avenue because to them it is a moral crusade, a religious war, and we are we are the the heathens. Some of us are apostates. I'm an apostate, right? Because I left the yeah. Democrats, so I'm even worse. And they they see it as this is a conflict, and uh, it's not going to stop until until you know you know we just got to beta fish. Have you ever heard of these little little fish? These little Thai fish. Oh. They're, they're super yeah. cute, right? They're they last like, like a day or two, usually, right? A little bit longer than that. But they're like they're like three inches long. Or something. Yeah. But if you put you can only have one. If right. you put two beta male, beta fish males in a fishbowl together, they will yeah. fight each other to the death. Okay, they're just compelled. They can't stop. They will fight each other to the death. That is our current circumstance with these new two competing visions of justice. There is no relenting until one side gives up and the other side is not going to give up. So you have no. to actually destroy the other side, and that's and that's where we are. And the world isn't hasn't. Uh, no, the left knows that already, actually, which is why they're attacking everything, all the institutions, the power structures, the masculine power, et cetera, et cetera. It's the people on the right haven't realized yet that we are already at war and it's already happening. And if we don't do something, they're going to actually win. Yeah, no, I, I think um, I think it kind of parallels real world war where um, wars have gotten much more deceptive and everything's hidden now. It's not as overt and obvious. There's no declaring it. It's just we're going to slowly kind of chip away at the little, the little weak links that we see. Well, um, I don't know how much more time we have here, but like one of the fundamental readings that we do in the Liminal Order is uh, the fourth generation warfare handbook by William Lind. And we have uh, a, a very ranking retired navy captain who ran his own ship in the navy taught at the naval academy teaching this workshop for us within the limo order a military an actual <laughs> military strategist with experience in the field and trained at the academy is teaching us fourth generation warfare and we studying it because the fundamental premise of fourth generation warfare is that is that like the old style wars are done you know lining up from one end of the on, on other ends of the field and shooting each other with muskets is finished you know having fronts like they did in world right. war one is finished having blitzkrieg maneuver warfare like the germans did even or even what we did in operation shock and awe in iraq the first time our first time was that the first time second. uh shock and awe was the second second, one. second time even yeah. that even that is done that is done because yeah. look how ineffective that was sure we did it we ran all the way to baghdad and did it work? No, we're there like 20 years later and we're losing. Okay, so it didn't work. So what is what is it now? It's different. It's fourth generation. It's everywhere at all times. Civilians are our targets, non-civilians, uh, military targets. You yeah. don't know the lines L little, are little green men on vacation in Donetsk. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it can happen socially, culturally. Yeah. Uh, it happens in media. It happens through propaganda. It happens through cancel culture it happens through exile it happens through doxing it happens through um uh, moral um, you know attacks on your moral code um and it happens with surgical military strikes so it's it's happening already we are already currently engaged with the fourth generation warfare with 
our occupying force here, which is the resistance and the social justice warriors. It's already, it's already happening. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's no, I don't think there's any stopping it until it resolves itself. And that resolution isn't going to be a compromised solution because there's no compromising with someone that has a different model of justice than you do. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think with, with every little victory that they have, they just get more emboldened in it. And like you said, it's, it's not about um, reaching a point of surrender. It's just domination. And they already do kind of control so much of, I mean, so, so much of the ideology of the, of the left, not, not that I'm even necessarily against it, is, is um, controlling Silicon Valley. There's, there's a huge balance of power that's gotten way out of whack because unfortunately most of us don't know how to, they don't, we never learned to code. <laughs> no. Yeah. So again, this is another thing that we, we actually study in Lima Order is the way that personal biases make it into technology and what that means. Yeah. And so, you know, people that write the algorithms and they write the search codes and they write the programs that, that control all the information that we see, you know, their personal biases are built right into it. And even if they were trying to be covert about it, it would still be in there, but they're, right. ov- they're being overt about it. So not only is it in there, but it, they're proud that it's in there too. So uh, again, it's happening everywhere at all times. The only answer that I have come up with for most people is to focus on yourself, build yourself into the best version of yourself possible, finally finally tune your instrument to peak performance. Once you've done that, do the same thing for your family. Once you've done that, try to do it for your community. And if you can do that, then you can begin to think about the bigger picture. There's no point for the common rank and file dude who's going to hear this podcast or read some Manosphere shit to go out there and pick up the torch and try to fight against social justice warriors or feminists or whatever the fuck. The best thing to do is to hunker down, put down deep roots, find people that see the world the way that you do, and build an ecosystem among those people that involves community support okay community comma support also in the future financial opportunities maybe even agricultural opportunities technology technological opportunities the vision that i have for the lo is that in in five or ten years we could be a completely self-sustainable organization you know this is this is a dream you know, we, we could have such numbers that we can provide our own fine, you know, insurance products. We can provide our own banking, you know, products. We can provide all kinds of stuff. We need to be in a position where we are completely independent of the corporate controlled powers of influence. I sound like conspiracy theorists now, but this is the fucking truth. It sounds more normal every year. Yeah. Well, we need to be completely independent of those powers of control or, or uh, centers of control. And not only, do we need uh, to be forming the communities, but we also need to take them off of the, the, the corporate technological backbone. So, right. you know, we're looking at very advanced technologies for our communication software. We're developing a whole new system for the entire community. That's going to be completely secure and totally independent. And the very first fucking chance that we can get it on some sort of mesh net, we're going to do that too. So like, we're even looking at our own ISP. We're looking at all kinds of stuff because we want to be 100% completely independent and off off 
out, out of the choke points that are provided for right. by the corporate and institutional control of your life and your information and your money and your health data and your kids and your whatever by people that hate you. I <laughs> think that seems like a good thing. Yeah. I, no, I, I think you have to. I mean, it's just become this, this world where you, you, we can't trust these um, sources that unfortunately we've all become very dependent on. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, it seems I, like, like you. First. <laughs> yeah, like you, I write. Um, you know, and if I get booted off Twitter, there goes about thirty percent of my web traffic. Maybe, you know, like it's it's real easy to lose a huge chunk of a revenue stream, essentially. Yeah, you know, I I, I have concerns about that too. But you know what? I also know I know that you and I are both resilient. And yes. Well, well <clears throat> I don't. I hate to use that word. That's a colloquial term, resilient. What I mean is anti fragile, but. Yeah. I do mean also resilient in the sense that like take away my Twitter, fine, fuck you, I'll do something else. Right. Yeah. And yep. and that and that's why and that's why I have a mailing list. That's why I've got the community. That's why I've got the podcast. That's why I've yeah. got podcasts on YouTube. It's like you have to diversify all of your means of communication. You need redundancies. Um, you need yeah. redundancies. In the liminal order, we designed it so that we had multiple redundancies that had even different risk profiles. So for example, the server is hosted in one country, the forum is hosted in another country, the messaging app is hosted in another country. Each of them have different political risk profiles and such. So if one of them, so one country is like, ah, oh, we have to kill Jack Murphy, they would do it. But you know that doesn't necessarily mean the other country is going to do it. <laughs> And then at the end of the day, we've got the email list and we've got actual fucking hard, you know, USPS post office addresses. So there will be no denying the communication between me and our, our and my network. Uh, but how crazy is it that you have to plan out multiple redundant overlapping communication systems in order to make sure that you have the independent power to communicate with you other private individuals. It is so is a weird world we live in man weird it's a world. weird world it's exciting times it, it honestly does it honestly does sound like we're at war we're acting like someone's out there trying to squash us and we're just trying to create enough networks to survive it yeah bro you got to remember for me man i i went i i went to to bed one night and woke up the next day yeah and i had been assassinated yeah. Okay. I can I, I can barely imagine how that feels. I've been like suspended for like twelve hours on Twitter, and like that's that's an alarming thing. Even you know you wake up and you're like, ah, oh, shit, someone's pissed at me. Someone tried to cancel me. It's like a shot across the bow, right? Yeah. I got suspended so you, for you Twitter. Got a real... for, <laughs> I got suspended from Twitter for saying retard the other day, and, <laughs> and 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 not retard, but retard. Like it's retarded. Your education process is retarded. Like, like, like slow I, down. Yeah, like the actual yeah. proper way of using it. Right. But yeah, man. When I got docs i mean dude they took away my job my reputation i was 42 years old i guess uh, yeah. and it was all of my previous work and everything right down the drain my reputation my linkedin profile my resume you know i had to burn through my savings i had to call in every last favor that i had uh i got banned from coaching little league kicked out of my own community stripped away from time for my son um the people you know my landlord tried to literally literally tried to evict me all of this was happening all at the That's same insane. time, right? So if people want to, when people, even I have trouble acknowledging that, quote, we are at war when I am like a poster boy for a casualty of war. I'm also, I would say, a poster boy for, you know, fighting back, being anti-fragile, coming out of it on the other end, stronger and more powerful by a long shot than I was yeah. before. 
thank you very much, assholes. Um, but uh, not everyone would be as fortunate as I was uh, to have that kind of, you know, sort of indestructible will. And and I don't blame. I don't blame other people. I mean, it's it, it, it's daunting task to rebuild a life from scratch in middle age when you're already pulling a semi truck full of fucking luggage behind you. Right. Uh, it's not an easy switch to make on the fly. Um, so I don't blame what, you know, I, I'm unsurprised and I'm very sympathetic when people who may experience the same thing, uh, actually have even more severe consequences like suicide or, 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 or being totally abandoned by their family or, or becoming homeless or whatever. These are, these are real possible outcomes. So when, when people want to say there's no war on men, fuck you, there isn't, or there's no, there's no actual war happening right now amongst our civilians, fuck you, there isn't. It's yeah. happening. It's happened to me. It's happened to a bunch of other people. The only question is, is when are you going to become painfully aware of it? And if you're not aware of it, maybe you're on the side who's waging all the war. So Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and like you, I went through a divorce too. Um, you know, and it was such a, it was a very red pilled moment because I went into um, the family court system thinking that I was going to come out pretty good. Um, I had a pretty clean record. I had literally no gaps in my resume. I'd always had a good job. I'd always done the right thing. Never been arrested. Only had one speeding ticket. It's pretty clean. My ex-wife was like the exact opposite. Drug addict, in and out of rehab, all sorts of issues. She even looked the part. I mean, she looked like a mess. And yet somehow they found ways to look at me and say that I had problems. She tried to claim that I was an alcoholic. She called me suicidal. And, you know, somehow these things kind of stick with you. And I ended up having to pay her a shitload of money. Um, I couldn't sell my house until the whole thing was over. I had to pay for her apartment. Mm. It's just, it's a fucking joke. Not only that, this, this, this is the one thing that really, really set me off. It really pissed me off was um, I worked a pretty unconventional job in that, like, I didn't have a lunch break. And I was ordered by the court to hand my kid over to her every other day, every day. So I would go pick him up one day. Then the next day I would drop him off and we go back and forth every single day. She goes, drop him off on your lunch break. And not that I get a say in the matter, but in my head, I'm like, what fucking lunch break? This is when I make my money and you're still going to make me pay for this. So they can take away your money and they're going to take away your time. It's just, I have some issues with marriage. <laughs> yeah. But you know, um, you know, there's look, marriage is definitely a raw deal in the sense. Yeah. That it's an open-ended one way agreement that only obligates one party to perform. And that's the man. And right. we all know it and everybody knows it now. There is something special about marriage. I wish that my first marriage would have lasted. I would have been happy being married for my whole life to one person had everything been good. Now that's a huge qualifier. <laughs> had, yeah. every, had everything been good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so to me now I've been with the same woman, the red hen on Twitter. Go ahead right. and try to follow her. It's locked. <laughs> um, go ahead. But she may let you in. Um, and we've been together, shit, it's going to be six years in April. And, um, you know, we're already de facto marriage. We've been living together for like four years. And, you know, we're going to live together for three more. And at that point, I'm going to be common law married anyway. So uh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. But my, my point here is that, like, just take your time, guys. Like, A, don't get married in your mid-20s. Right. 
uh, be, you know, maybe, maybe late, late twenties, early thirties after you've got your shit together so that you can maximize your own value. So you can win the hyper hyper gaming game. Maybe you take yourself from a six to a 7.5 because you've got a good career and good style and you're in shape and you're not a dodo. Well, you know, most 7.5 guys are going to be able to live very comfortably with a seven girl. Like, so yeah. just go out and get her and you just understand that like, yeah, bro, you're not Tom Brady. Fucking deal with it. You're not going to marry a supermodel. That's fine. And like, but have a, you know, find an attractive woman that's younger than you, that's a, a, you know, a, attached to your message uh, and, and believes in your mission and wants to support you. And you can, th- these women do exist. They, really, they definitely exist. Yeah. really do yeah. exist. But you can't yeah. just go jumping into shit and you can't just go, uh, you know, recreating your mommy with the first girl that allows you to touch her vagina. You know, you just, you just can't. And I was as guilty of that as anybody else. I mean, I yeah. tended to get into relationships very fast because, you know, my mom was incapable of being an emotional person and she wasn't there. So like I looked for that, but I, I overcame it and I realized it and it's just, you know, you have to put in the work and like, you cannot put in the work by age 25 guys. You just can't. Right. Yeah, around around age twenty five, I started falling into that trap of um, thinking that I had peaked. I thought that I was done. I was going to get older. I was going to get fatter, and I was. I was losing my hair. I was getting a little bit more of a weight. So it kind of made sense at the time, and it was it was the wrong way to look at it. You know, I'm I'm thirty two now. I'm probably in my prime. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm definitely in the best shape I ever have been. I I just ran twenty five miles last weekend. Never done Damn. that before in my life. Yeah, I, I paid for it. I can probably walk today. I was gonna say you should probably have, <laughs> you should probably have your mental health checked. For that. <laughs> I don't recommend it. I'm yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm gonna drift away from the running and go back to weights. Yeah. But I rebuilt myself and I've I've come a long way and it, it took me a while to figure out that like you know guys tend to peak somewhere around 30-ish or so. A lot older than you would think. Maybe I later. Think, I, think, I think even older than that. I, yeah. can, I can pretty much, I can look back and think that like 38 was probably, yeah. was probably it for me. I think in somewhere term, in the terms, 30s. In, in terms of purely physical peaking, right? Well, I like, think all of it combined. I mean, you're going to be making more money by then too, you know? That's, that's usually going to be going up as you get older too. Like yeah, just bro, overall, but, your life gets better. Yeah, definitely. But you should definitely be making more money in your forties than you were in your thirties, no matter what you're doing. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, in terms of my physical, my physicality and my appearance, like my condition and shape and stuff, probably then, but you know, um, even despite the doxing and everything else, like my mindset is so good right now that I still feel like I'm peaking anyway. And I, yeah. and I, I, I have the opportunities to test this sexual market out there quite often, actually. And, you know, it's it's still working for me. So I'm pretty pleased with that. Um, But like, if you're 25 years old and and the first girl that, that, you know, is nice to you wants to get married, guys, don't do it. Don't Uh, do it. Don't do it. You have, you got to maximize. This is like a real calculation. Okay. You have to maximize yourself before you commit, before you commit, unless it's very clear that you're in a situation where the, the woman is like investing in you. And there will be some guys that will acknowledge, will say that that doesn't happen, that women only wait at the finish line. I don't know how many times I've heard how fucking stupid that is. By the way, there's a whole strand of women that goes to law school just to meet future lawyers and get married in law school. And in fact, people used to, women used to just go to college just to meet guys who were going to be in college so that they can yeah. get married, okay? People invest. Women invest in men's futures all the time. All I, the time. Um, 
I went to school at the University of Illinois and people used to talk about these women that get MRS degrees. And um, if you you went to the engineering quad on a Friday night and I had to go there because I I just couldn't believe this. But if you went there on a Friday night, um, like kind of late, there would be these women like dressed to the fucking nines, like tight fitting dresses, high heels at the library of the engineering quad, just, yeah, just talking to guys. And I mean, these guys just, you know, they're in their notebooks or in the books or studying they're trying to pay attention. There's this like, it looks like a prostitute's next to them sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it oh, they're pretty happy. <laughs> it, it, it happens. I'm not saying you guys should bank on it. Like finding a girl that's going to believe in your future potential. Right. But every girl does see your future potential. Right. Like, in fact, cause that's all they see. They look at you in terms of potential a lot of times. Um, but, uh, if you want to make sure that your marriage or relationship transaction is as smooth as possible, I suggest maximizing your value first. And right now, at least if you're 38 years old in shape with money and a career and some semblance of game, you can basically have your pick of any girl from age 20 to 50 in the whole country. There's a massive like void of traditional masculine men right now. Yeah. The economics favor men as much as, it's so easy and popular to say that it doesn't, but like right now it's, it's a pretty good time to be a traditional male. Oh God, a hundred percent. It's never been any easier yeah. if you've got your shit together. <laughs> you know, I, I read about the guys struggling to meet girls and struggling to meet that and do that. I'm like, dude, you're just, you're just literally not doing it right. It's not, yeah. it's not that the girls aren't there. It's not that they don't want to get with a guy. It's not that they don't want to have sex. It's not that they don't want to have a family. They want all those things probably more than you can possibly comprehend. It's yeah. just, you're, you're just not doing it right, dude. You're just yeah. not doing it right. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I and, agree. It, and that's hard. It, that, that's not an easy thing to sell. You're not going to sell a lot of books and be like, bro, it's all your fault. <laughs> right? Or like a, or like a diet book. That's like, don't eat so much fatty. Right. Yeah. Like that, that should be the whole book. Right. It's pretty, it's pretty but, much it though. But it is totally true. And yeah. your success with women depends on the way that you do it. Well, and a lot of these guys want to qu- get quick rich scheme or uh, quick fix their problems. And like, realistically, it's probably a six to 12 month ordeal for you. I mean, it's going to get better to consistently. Get point. Yeah, everything that yeah. a lot of these guys probably need to lose a little bit of weight, get stronger. I mean, there's, there's little things that they can change and not, none of it's going to happen in a week. No, it's not. Which is why it's important for us. I don't know if you've got any kids, but like I'm teaching, gotta, yeah. I'm teaching my son all along the way at every moment that he's ready for one little tiny increment of truth. I give it to him. And uh, you know, this, this is a kid who harassed me to buy an Olympic bar and bumper plates. Okay. <laughs> I was like, it's, I mean, I was like, you're 12, you're 12. We'll put it off a little, I put it off. But when, as soon as he turned 13, he was like, dad, you said 13, it's time. Yeah. So this, he's like, he inspires me because he wants to lift so much and so hard and so frequently and he's dedicated to becoming huge. And, you know, I like to think I had a little bit of influence or a lot of influence. Oh, absolutely. Of influence yeah. in that. Um, you know, I used to go to the gym all the time, but now I've got a home gym and I work out with my son all the time. It's That's awesome. Pretty, it's pretty fucking sweet, I got to say. But like each time that there's a chance, like an event, an observation, a real world example where I can point something out to him and help him create a mental model of the world that's going to tell him a he needs to maximize himself b women have good and evil in them yes. both right stop idolizing women they're as fucked up as we are they're as depraved <laughs> as we are and they yeah. make as many mistakes as we do 
right? Yeah. So uh, you need to, you know, guys need to, to learn that. And, you know, the old saying, uh, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world is very true, right? So when these guys are little babies, mommy's put into their minds, you know, like, just be yourself and a, and a good girl will show up and whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it's, yeah. Just, it's just simply not true. Uh, and so, that, I mean, and, and that I think is like one of the, maybe one of the lasting benefits of the manosphere is that there is a body of literature out there. It's happened. It's written. There's books. There's an infinite number of blog sites, uh, posts, essays, tactical field guides, this, that, and the other thing. If you are willing, if you are an information seeker and you want to find the truth, it's out there right now. And yeah. it will be. And assuming Amazon doesn't, you know, delete all of them or burn them all or whatever. This information yeah. is out there. It's in the canon. It's part of the, it's part of the universe and it can be accessed. accessed. But it's funny because like a lot of times people harass the manosphere for becoming a little bit too like greedy and money hungry. But at the same time, there's a colossal amount of information that's free. And between the blogs, the emails, the tweets. I mean, there's a shitload of the book of Pook. The whole book is out there for free. Yeah. You know, and most younger guys probably don't know what that is. No. But if if you like Roll Tomas, if you like Manosphere stuff, just go fucking read that book over the night. You know, it's free. Go check yeah. it out. There's yeah, a ton you, of shit out there. I, I have more written information out there for free than I do for sale, you know. Definitely. I mean, that, yeah. that's the way that's the way it works. And the people that are paying for premium services like uh, intense community and high levels of yeah. technology and specialized programming and academic courses and workshops and shit, you know, that's that's a completely different experience. But if you just want, I mean, I have 100 free essays on my blogs, on my, yeah. on my, on my website. I've tweeted 45,000 times. <laughs> I've, I've published I've published 50, 60 hours of podcasts all for free. So People, people that are like anybody that uses the word grifter yeah. or, you know, scammer or wares peddler or whatever, you know, fuck you. Just don't buy it. Just shut exactly. up. Just read exactly. the rest. Just read the rest of my free stuff um, or don't, or really let me just block you. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of rough. <laughs> people don't understand it. It's, you know, I'll, you got what, like 30,000 followers on Twitter. I've, I've got yeah. around 25,000. It just becomes unmanageable. You can't deal with that negative energy every day. It just takes up too much time. I have 1500 blocked accounts. 1500. I'm yeah. jealous. I have like 750. I'm working my <laughs> way up there. <laughs> I, I, I've started just blocking people uh, that I just see acting the fool to other people. Yeah. I don't want that shit. I'll, I'll do the same. Like I know where it's going. <laughs> I, I block. I block relentlessly, mercilessly. Uh, Got and, pronouns and, and, with, and with and without remorse. However, some people do get caught up in it. And if you yeah. feel like you, you, readers, listeners out there, if you feel like you unfairly got caught up in a block spree, just send me an email or something. I usually do reinstate upon special request. So I'll I'll say the same. I'm not yeah. I'm not guaranteeing I'll do it, but. <laughs> probably I've, I've seen people charge charging for it 10 10 that's not a bad idea for an unmute 50 dollars for an unblock i'm not going to do that but if you do take the time to send me a thoughtful note and you explain what what, what the situation was i yeah I usually have a block I'll, I'll agree to that and if you bought my ebook i'll definitely do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember i went on a block spree pretty hard for a while and then like i sent out an email to my list and i got like five unsubs and they were like you blocked me on twitter why am i gonna read your shit <laughs> I mean, that's a reasonable response there, bro, but that's, uh, that's pretty reasonable. You probably shouldn't have been a dick. <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. I mean, it's easy when you're like not getting the engagement to be a dick, but I mean, I did that for a little while when I was just kind of starting out just because I didn't know much better. But as, as I've um, 
matured, I guess, and learned the Twitter game and just online game in general. I mean, it can be a powerful source to network with people. I, I've interacted with a lot of really cool people like yourself, you know, um, there's a guy named Erwan LaCour who does this thing called move natural. It's like a, this whole idea of like fitness where it's just natural movements, not going to a gym. Like he follows me and I've been able to talk to him, Aaron Clary, who I used to read all the time before I ever got online. You know, like it opens up a lot of doors if you're not addicted to people. Yeah. Uh, Twitter is the most amazing networking uh, technology yeah. that ever occurred. And, and what's, what's funny is the dirty little secret of social media is that, the most powerful social media networks are built offline. The way yes. that social media networks are built is in person. <laughs> you actually have to become friends with people and you actually have to be cool and you have to exchange yeah. value and you have to do things for each other and be honorable and loyal. And in doing so, you build, you build your network. Uh, yeah. You can't just be a dick and expect to grow. <laughs> you can't be a nihilist and when it comes to relationships and expect to grow you have to actually get out there and cultivate but you can't do it fake you have to do right. it sincerely so you have to actually be a human so the funny part is is that your 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 most powerful social media networks are built uh through being a good human to other people in the real world and when you do that it looks like we have all of these like teams out there or like cabals or you know, but yeah. it's, it's, it's not, it's not a conspiracy or bots. It's an actual network of people who are really friends. So yeah. of course they're going to support and retweet and promote and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I would say, I'm going to say 99, if not a hundred percent of my real world, I see you go out to dinner, travel to go hang out with your friends. I met online. I think that's awesome. I think, I think, I think almost exclusively at this point. I think it's natural. I mean, I grew up in uh, central Illinois and all my friends were very, very smart people. And that was awesome when we were growing up. But then as soon as we graduated college, we were just gone one's in Arizona, one's in Minnesota, one's in Chicago, I'm in Tennessee. You know, I, I think a lot of guys, especially more motivated people, they have this happen where their friends just scatter. And, you know, the internet's a great um, stopgap for that. It lets you keep in contact and meet more people and helps you network with people that are a little closer to you too. You know, and, and now a lot of my in real life friends, I've, like you said, I've met online too. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's 100%. I met my girlfriend online too. Um, so World of Warcraft, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Cupid, man. Okay, Cupid. that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Man. Um, no, uh, I've been able to craft like bespoke relationships. Awesome. I by seeking out people who share ideas and a worldview first, yeah. and then we see if we are a social fit afterwards i like that and that has really been tremendously powerful for me because it allows the relationships to be much deeper um and it allows for a much freer exchange of of information and it allows for people to be much more honest think about it all the people that you met before you started well you're you're 12 years younger than me all the people that you met most of us old guys before the internet 
you met by happenstance. You yeah. Met them, you met them because they were your college roommate. Yeah. Because you went to high school together because they were in your, your enlistment class because they were, uh, you know, uh, at your uh-huh. office. So they yeah. were just there and you were like, Oh, should we be friends? And it I've didn't, heard, didn't I've heard it said that most of your friends are friends based off geographical convenience. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Which is why social media and online networking changes that the yeah. calculation turns it on its head. And we determine whether or not we have a shared worldview first. We organize around common ideas first, mission critical deal breaking kind of ideas. Yes. And then figure out if we're going to be friends second. And believe me, I have met a ton of people, red pill, mass fear, right wing, whatever, who I would not want to spend any time with. <laughs> so, so it's, it's not like it just means immediately that you're going to form a close relationship. But if you use that as a filter first, it does allow sort of for a lower risk investment uh, in the relationship that could actually turn out to be very fruitful. You know, for example, Goldmund is one of my best friends and right. I met him a few years ago. And every time we can, we go see each other, we travel, we hang out. And like, I just never in a million years would have met a guy like that if it wasn't for the blogs, man, the old day blogs. It's crazy. Yeah, there's not a lot of Goldmans out there. <laughs> no, no, there's not. And he and I together are are a combustible pair. Sure. We've had a lot of fun. Hey, man, uh, I don't I don't mean to cut this short because it's been it's been almost two hours, but I do got to run. I yep. got to go pick up my kids. Um, but I do appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much, man. No, that's perfect. I got to run in about ten minutes. That works. Um, it's it's been great talking to you. You did a good job at the beginning of saying where to find you, but it's pretty much oh, Jack yeah. Murphy live everywhere, right? And that's Jack, smart. Jack Murphy live everywhere at Jack Murphy live at Jack yeah. Murphy live on Twitter, especially, um, and then Liminal hyphen order. Check it out, guys. Yeah, and then uh, Democrats are deplorable is your book. I'm about twenty five ish percent into it. I recommend it already. So pretty good, good read. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Stay in touch. We'll do it again. Absolutely. We'll definitely do it again. If you enjoyed this episode of the Pat's Millionaire's Podcast, be sure to write us a review. That way we can reach more men that are lost and need direction in their life. And if you feel that you are lost and you need direction in your life, or you simply are looking for brotherhood, a sense of belonging, a place where you can be a man, a traditional man, and be around other men who are motivated and working to build something themselves. Check out patreon.com slash to gain access to the private Discord server where you can connect with other highly motivated individuals.